0: It is so good to see you guys. I'm excited to share God's word with you today. Uh, before we get started, though, I have a story that I would like to share with you. Uh, a few years ago, I really started getting into building furniture with uh, with wood, really started working with different pieces of wood and, and wanted to do some just simple projects to start out. Uh, the first thing I built was a workbench inside of the garage. So something uh, pretty much I say I can work on it, but I think it's more of a collector of storage items, uh, to be honest with you. And then uh, I decided to build some shelving. That was another really good starter project. So I built a shelf on the side of the garage. uh, But then, of course, we always need more garage storage, right? And so I built one that's attached to the ceiling. And I was like, maybe this is not a good idea for my first project to do something that goes right over the car. I I don't know if my insurance policy covers that, but it's still holding. It's been been about three or four years now. Uh, Then I started thinking, man, I could do some more, uh, some different projects, some harder projects, and so I got into looking at how to build coffee tables, and the coffee table that I decided to build, it's, uh, it's on wheels, and it's uh, just a big square, but on it, it has uh, two sides that fold on it, and I don't know about your house, but that at my house is made to store toys and to do a quick cleanup if anyone's coming over to the house, so I was pretty happy about that, Uh, But I remember researching different styles of projects that I could do with uh, building with wood and, and all sorts of different things. And one of the processes I came across I thought was just fascinating was the process of how to refinish old wooden antique pieces. And the refinishing of antique furniture, is it's an amazing process. It's something I never got to personally do, but it was fascinating to read about and to, and to watch different videos on. What would happen is that people would take these strong chemicals and they would start to strip away some of the old varnish that was on uh, these old antique pieces. And then they would start to sand them down using either these sandpaper machines or just a lot of elbow grease with some sandpaper. And they would go to town. And what would happen is they would expose all of the crooks and the nooks and the crannies that that needed to be repaired inside of these pieces. The sanding would just continue and continue until the surface was even and it was smooth. And then it was time to varnish this with a new varnish until it got back to its old way of looking, to its glory of its intended look. And in the same way, we're kind of like that old... Antique furniture that needs restored, right? God looks at us and God will just strip us down. He will sand and sand and sand us until he exposes every scratch, until he exposes every nook and cranny This is the part that often hurts the worst in our lives as believers. The part where we start to cry out in pain to the Lord. The part where we have to trust that God's grace is sufficient for us in all situations of life. But God follows that sanding process with the varnish. This is the point at which the life of Christ begins to shine through the life of the Christian. That's where we begin to see that your identity in Christ begins to reveal itself and that you'll find power that you've never had because of the brokenness and because of the good work that he is doing inside of you. So today we're kicking off a short two-week series where we're going to be examining two powerful verses in Peter's first epistle This week, we're really going to be looking at verse 6. And then next week, we're going to be looking at verse 7. But both of those verses, they say this. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In these verses, we can learn how our faith can be purified through tests and through trials. Through the stripping away of the old varnish and the sanding of our old habits, we can have a brand new varnish that's applied to us. And when we learn about and accept this forging of our faith, then we won't just survive this life, but we will instead thrive and we will grow in our trust and in our faith in God. So today we're really going to be zeroing in on this verse 6 here. And what we're going to see in verse 6 is that through the gospel, the believers in Jesus Christ, we can actually have an eternal perspective inside of our present situations. Because of Christ, we can have an eternal perspective on our present situations. Let's pray as we get into God's word today. Father, we are so thankful for who you are, for the songs that we sang this morning that are a reminder of who you are. And they're a reminder of everything that you have accomplished God, that we can praise you because you have risen, because you have conquered death and death no longer has a sting. God, that we can be thankful and full of gratitude because of the living hope that you bestow upon us. And God, we thank you that we can say hallelujah for the cross. Because if it wasn't for the cross, there wouldn't be a resurrection. And we thank you for that. God, now as we get into your word and as we look at what your word says to us today about how to suffer well, about how to suffer as believers in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would give us a new mindset on what it means to go through trials and what it means to go through struggles and grief in our lives. Help us to keep our eyes on you, fixed upon you in all situations. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So again, as as I said, we're going to be really diving in to verse 6 here. And it says, you rejoice in this. What is the in this that he's talking about? Well, when we see something like that, when it says you rejoice in this, it's kind of like a therefore statement, right? When we see therefore in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, what is it therefore, right? You usually go back, you see the context of what's happening, and that's what we have to do here. He says, you rejoice in this, Okay, so we're going to back up to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And what's going to happen is Peter is going to begin to outline the gospel for us. He's going to begin to tell believers that, hey, in the gospel, you can rejoice. You can rejoice in this gospel. And the rejoicing can take place regardless of what circumstances you're going through in life. Because the gospel is such good news, it's going to trump every bit of bad news that we could ever encounter. So let's go back and see what it says in those verses. Peter kicks it off this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. In the last time, man, there's a lot of good stuff in here today, a lot of good stuff. But the first thing that we need to look at is the source of our living hope. So if you're taking notes today, write that down, the source of our living hope. And we're going to find that in chapter 1, verse 3. Let's go back and see what it says. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, pause right there. Peter starts with a word of worship. Right away, he gives this doxology, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives credit where credit is due. It is due right back to Jesus himself. And then he says, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. We are born again into a living hope. And we've seen these terms before, this, this new birth and this living hope, right? Pastor Grant has given us a message on what it means to be born again, right? As we worked through the book of John, we saw in John chapter 3 that Jesus went to go visit this, this famous Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he goes to see Nick at night. By the way, that's where they get Nick at night, just so you know. Don't quote me on that because I'm sure it's not true. But he goes to see Nicodemus in the middle of the night and to tell him that, hey, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I need to go back into my mother's womb and and come back out again. And Jesus says, no, man, stop being weird. That's not what I'm talking about. That is odd. Don't do that. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Being born again spiritually. Peter's idea here in this verse, however, is that when a person is saved, they are made an entirely new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 really gives us a good look at what it means. He says, therefore, Paul's writing this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. And what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is reminding us that when we belong to Jesus Christ, something truly extraordinary happens. We become a brand new creation. Our old ways, our old past mistakes, everything that we did in our BC days, they no longer define us. The power of Christ's love and sacrifice now transforms us from the inside out. It's as if we've been given a fresh start in life. We have been given a brand new clean slate. That old one is gone and it is replaced with a new one. This isn't just some surface level change, right? Not some surface level cleaning that Pat and Candy were doing up here on the stage for us, right? This is something brand new. It is a profound shift in our identity and in our purpose in life. When we embrace Christ, we're not just simply turning over a new leaf. We are embarking on a new life. A life that is in sync with God's plan for us and his purpose for our lives. Now, this newness isn't something uh, that's like temporary or or fleeting. Has has anyone bought a new car before? You get a new car and it has... Oh, that new car smell. Oh, it smells great. I've seen some of the new vehicles. They have television screens in them or giant tablets in them now. And they come with that, you know, that little plastic film that's on there. And when you pull it off, there's just such satisfaction. I don't know about you, but I get such satisfaction from pulling off that little piece of coverage that's right there. But you pull that off and then you start touching the screen and you get fingerprints all over it. And then if you were in my house and you bought a new vehicle, then about 30 minutes later, the whole back seat is covered in crushed goldfish. And so that's something that happens. But this newness that we're talking about here, it's not something temporary or fleeting. This is a lasting transformation that keeps on growing and it keeps on shaping us. It is a continuous journey of becoming more and more like Christ each and every day of our lives as we pick up our cross daily and follow him so let that sink in today that you are not defined by your past or your mistakes or who you were before christ through christ you are a brand new creation loved and cherished by the creator himself let that reality inspire you and guide you and fill you with that living hope that we sang about embrace the adventure of walking in the fullness of this new identity, knowing that, yeah, the old has passed away. That's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, let's keep rolling here because he goes on to say that he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what he's telling us is, is that this idea of living hope, it is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the gospel message itself. Now, the gospel, it's, it's not just another tale. It's not like one of Aesop's fables or some kind of feel-good message that's out there. No, this is the mind-blowing good news about Jesus Himself that Peter is writing about in these verses. Because God, in his infinite kindness, in his perfect wisdom, has bestowed upon us an awesome gift. The gift of his very own son. If you back up to verse 2, it even talks about the powerful sacrifice of his blood. And because of that, this this is now something extraordinary begins to happen to us. We, that means, yes, you and me included, we are forgiven. And we are reborn now as this whole new creation. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead is what brings believers from all corners of the earth, from all time zones, from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different ways of life it brings us all this remarkable gift of living hope it's not just any hope it's a hope that is alive and vibrant and eternal we have a living hope you guys because we have a living God we have a living hope because we have a living Lord if Jesus was still in the tomb then our hope would be dead Paul even writes in a different letter, he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if that tomb was still with him and his body, then we have no hope. And what we're doing here is pointless. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And because of that, our hope is alive. This is where the pieces for verse 6 really start to come together and really start to build that in this message that we were looking at. Because as we grasp the significance of these verses, we are unlocking the key to verse 6. Do you remember what it said? It said, you rejoice in this Rejoice in this living hope. Rejoice in this gospel message. Rejoice in the fact that the tomb is empty and death does not have a sting. You can rejoice in this. And that living hope that Peter is talking about, that is what's going to help us when we go through the trials and grief that we will encounter. This living hope, it, it's like a magical lens or, or just an awesome set of glasses that we get to look through in this life. It's, it's going to transform the way that we see the world right now when we look through those lenses. And how we view the trials and the sufferings in this present moment as believers. You know, back in March, I went to uh, the Children's Festival. It was out at Camplex. And I used to go to that as a kid. But this year, uh, my, my wife took, took our two kids. My wife and I took our two kids. And the first booth that's set up when you walk in there is the highway patrolman. And you go in there, and they got their car parked there. And lights are flashing everywhere. They had all sorts of cool things. And, of course, the kids are like, whoa! So they walk over to it, and they're trying to touch all the buttons and fire this thing up. It was hilarious. Uh, but... I remember off to the side of the car was this big old piece of tape, and I had asked the officer, I said, what's that piece of tape for? He said, well, all you got to do is walk in a straight line on that piece of tape, and if you make it all the way to the end, I'll give you a Kit Kat. And if anyone knows, you can bribe me easily with a Kit-Kat, okay? I'll do just about anything except sin for a Kit-Kat, okay? And so I'm like, oh, easy. And so I line up on the line, and he says, oh, but hold on. You have to put these on. And he hands me these space-age-looking goggle things that I put on and realize, oh, no, these are beer goggles. I can't see a thing. I put them on, I don't know, up from down, let alone, could I walk a line for the sidewalk Olympics here? I don't know how to do that. But that's not the kind of goggles that God gives us. Those aren't the kind of lenses that we get as new creations. The lens that we get from God gives us an eternal perspective, which is going to illuminate our daily reality, if you will allow it to. Because you could continue to walk around like a sourpuss, always grumpy, crabby about everything in life because you're choosing to wear the highway patrol's goofy goggles or you can choose to listen to what God says and view your life view your joys and your challenges through better lenses through God's lenses because the things we face today they can be all colored by that radiant hue of living hope And those special glasses that let us glimpse the beauty of the eternal here and now. So the gospel isn't just a story. It's an invitation to a life transforming journey. Through Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection, we're not just patched up. We don't just have wood filler put into places that used to be marks and dings. No, we are made brand new. And that living hope that we've been talking about, it's not just some distant dream that we can have. It is a living, breathing reality that shapes how we view everything around us today. So let that sink in. Let that light up your life and let it fuel the adventure of your faith today. And so that is the source of our living hope, right? We've seen that the source of this living hope that we've talked about, it's the new birth that we receive through the gospel. The source of our living hope is the new birth that we receive through the gospel. But it doesn't end there. It also said that we have an inheritance. So let's look at the nature of this inheritance. The nature of our inheritance. Verse 4. It said this. So back up a little bit. It says that uh, the great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here we go into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, we have an inheritance. Such a kind thing for God to give us an inheritance. But you know, when I think about an inheritance on this side of eternity, I know so many people who have gotten an inheritance and it has done nothing but rip a family apart. Some of you here today have been affected by that very thing. But have you ever realized that, that the money and the stuff that people leave behind for us, eventually one day it's, it's just going to fade away? right? It's, it's very kind when someone leaves an inheritance for you, and it can be very helpful. But what people leave behind for us today is never eternal. God has kept our inheritance in heaven so that thieves can't steal it and moths can't destroy it. And if you follow Jesus, then your treasure is where your heart is, not where the world says it should be. Peter called this living hope an inheritance. Now, as children of the king... We're not just spectators of this inheritance. We don't just sit on the sideline and, oh, yeah, you got an inheritance. Good for you. No. We are heirs to his kingdom. He has given us this inheritance. We are part of Christ's last will and testament. And that means that we're in for a share of the glory right alongside of Jesus himself. But here's where it gets even better. Because this inheritance, it's... Nothing like we've ever seen on earth. This is no ordinary hand me down. It's heavenly. It's not something that is natural, it's something that is supernatural. The word says that it is imperishable, it means that nothing, absolutely nothing, can mess it up. It's undefiled, which means that it's untainted by anything unpure or even in this case, less than perfect. And it never grows old. It never loses its shine. It always has that new car smell. Never has goldfish crumbled up in the back seat. Right? Never has fingerprints all over the screen. It's eternal. This inheritance is like a treasure that never depreciates. It never loses its value. It never disappoints. And it never fades away. Now in this, Peter goes on to call this incredible inheritance not only our living hope, but our salvation. Right? We are saved by grace through faith in God alone, not by our works. Right? There is nothing we could do to earn this inheritance. All we can do is say, Jesus, I simply want to follow you. And he says, boom, I'm going to put you in the will. But there is a grand finale That is waiting for us when Jesus returns or when we go to be united with him. There's new bodies. There's a whole new heavenly environment that we get to live. It's it's like stepping into a brand new uh, mind-blowing city that's going to be beyond our wildest dreams. We're not waiting for this earthly inheritance that we know so much about. We're on the receiving end of something extremely divine, something unbreakable, untarnished, and something that is everlasting. Our salvation is in Christ alone, which means that our future is extremely bright. And our king has a legacy of love and glory that is waiting for us. So remember that. Remember your destiny as you're going through hard times, as you're going through strife and struggles and grief and the arguments of an inheritance. Remember that you have a better inheritance waiting for you on the other end. I think it's interesting. Peter really told us what the inheritance is not, right? It's not perishable. It's not defiled. It's not fading. All he could really tell us is what it's not. Because there is so much glory with what it is, that it's going to be something far too great for him to even try to describe and to put into words. But he guarantees us that it is being guarded by God's power for us. And so in that, we've seen that source of our living hope, right? That, that new birth that we receive through the gospel. We've seen that the nature of our inheritance, that it's being kept perfectly for us. And that we have salvation here and now. And that we also have the promise of the Lord returning to complete his work. And now the part that everyone's going to be so excited for. Because we get to look at the purpose of trials and testing. Yay, trials, testing. Verse 6. You rejoice in this. In what? In the living hope that we have. We rejoice in the inheritance that's coming our way, in the power that God has. Even though, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. Don't you love being put on trial? Don't you love going through grief in life and sadness and heartbreak and times where all you can do is like, there's, God, there's nothing I can do, so I, I, I really need your help? You guys got really quiet. You guys got really quiet? Of course not, because oftentimes, myself included, I begin to complain and whine and throw up. Things are tough right now. I can't handle it. But I shouldn't do that. We as believers in Jesus Christ shouldn't do that. We are told so many times in scriptures to count it all joy. One of the favorites that I had to remind myself of time and time again is James chapter 1 where it says, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through various trials. It doesn't say if. It says when you go through various trials. So no matter where you're at in life with Jesus, if you're following him, if you're not following him, you're going to have trials in this life. You're going to have grief and suffering in this life. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are promised that he is going to walk through it with you. I really like how Billy Graham put it. He said comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity has. I remember how united everyone was on September 12th, 2001. After the towers fell, the news was not only covered in heartbreak and disaster and rubble, but it was covered in unity. People were helping people. People were cleaning up what had happened People were serving one another, praying with one another, bringing people food, bringing people shelter, water, whatever they needed. The situation was awful. I'm sure most of us can remember, if you're old enough to, exactly where you were sitting on September 11th, 2001. But one of the things we can remember from that is that that adversity really brought love for your fellow man into the picture. The Lord is able to redeem difficult situations. And when his people trust him through those trials and through those hard times, he can use them in remarkable ways. You know, to get real deep on you, let's take the crash test dummies, for example. So theologically sound crash test dummies are. Did you know that car companies will put two dummies like this in a car and then they ram it into a wall? There will be one dummy behind the wheel. He's probably, you know, drinking coffee and texting and driving. That's why he's a dummy. But then you have one dummy on the passenger side as well. And the goal for the company is to not just be mean to the vehicles, but it's to test these vehicles. They want to see how much these vehicles can take. They want to find out where are the flaws that need to be corrected in this vehicle. And they want to see how much these cars can stand with the ultimate goal of making the car better. Truth be told, some of us are just dummies. You got one talking to you right now if you're listening. We get rammed into a wall and we think, man, God is just trying to mess up everything when he's just simply trying to make us trust him more. He's trying to make us better Christ followers He lets us run into the walls so that we can identify the flaws that are in our lives. He shows us things about ourselves. The the things we said, oh, I am never going to do that. Bam, right into a wall. God, I I am never going to use language like that. Bam, right into a wall. Oh, I said, I am never going to visit that place. I'm never going to go there. Bam, right into the wall. He allows us to see our own imperfections so that we realize we are not like him as much as we thought we were. God allows us to have encounters in life that will show us our need for him. When we think we have it all figured out, no, God, why don't you sit in the back seat this time? Bam, right into a wall. We need God to be in the driver's seat so that we don't go right into the wall. He says this, though, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in trials. So he tells us here that however these these things are going to happen, they're not temporary. Or they are temporary, excuse me. They're not permanent. So describing that time of grief, Peter writes that. He says, even though now for a short time. What he's saying is in the grand scheme of life, it's not that long. You know, Pastor Aaron gave us the the illustration of a rope that goes on for eternity. And there's a little piece of rope that's right on the end. And that represents your life. That's all it is. And the rest of it goes on for eternity. The book of James calls it but a vapor. If you were to take a squirt bottle and squirt it once into the air, that's your life. Your life is but a vapor. It's very quick, Very short. There was a guy by the name of Oliver Berkman, and he wrote a book that was called Time Management for Mortals. I don't know why for mortals. I'm still trying to figure that out because I don't think any other species would really need time management. I don't really see the animal kingdom cramming in time to go pick up the dry cleaning or the kids. But anyways, time management for the mortals. And the whole idea behind this book is that life is way shorter than we realize Think about it this way. Let's say you live to uh, 80 years old. That means that you have roughly 4,000 weeks to live. That's it. Now, if that's all there is, then tough times would feel even worse because every week in your life would be super important. That's time management for mortals. But for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ... have eternal life we know that there's more than just four thousand weeks we believe that there's a forever that is waiting for us and that's what gives us the strength to keep going even when things get tough there's a bigger picture beyond these short weeks and that's what gives us the living hope and the power to keep pushing forward You know, when we see things through that eternal perspective, through those heavenly lenses that we talked about, then we need to remember that life goes by really fast. When we're going through hard times, they might feel like they're never going to end. But take heart, because Jesus said that he overcame the world. And our time on earth is quite short in comparison to forever. So when you're hurting it's good to take a moment and check on how we're thinking. Are we just focused on the pain that's, that's here and right now? Or are we looking forward to the amazing life that's waiting for us in eternity? And we're realizing, hey, I can count this joy because it will be for a short time. So today, as we, as we wrap up, I want to leave you with a question. And I would encourage you to take a picture of it, write it on a sticky note, put it somewhere where you can read this question and really evaluate how you're taking God's word into effect in your life. The question is this, when you experience joy or a trial, where is your focus and why are you focused there? Because y'all, life has good times, And it has bad times. It has times that are so easy and it has times that are so tough. But here in these verses, Peter says, rejoice in this. And he shared that incredible news that should fill our hearts with hope. He reminds us that God has given us a living hope because he is a living God. He reminds us that through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that hope is not just a wishful thinking. No, that definition of biblical hope is actually a confident expectation of something amazing that is yet to come. It's not just, oh, I hope you have a good day at school tomorrow. Oh, I hope the kids don't make you too mad, teacher. Oh, I hope the teacher doesn't make you too mad, kids. It's not a hope like that. It is a confident expectation and in the inheritance that we have because that inheritance is imperishable it's undefiled and it's unfading that means that no matter what challenges or difficulties that we face our future is bright and it's full of God's goodness and it's full of his grace life will bring its share of trials But we can rest assured that this trial, this thing you're walking through right now, it's temporary. It's not forever. It may seem like forever, but it's temporary. Just like gold that is refined through fire. And we're going to talk about that more next week as we get into uh, verse 7 in this chapter. But just like gold is refined through fire, our faith is being tested and strengthened through the difficulties. And as we persevere, our faith becomes a living testimony to God's incredible work in our lives. And so today, I want you to remember this before you go. If there's only one thing that you remember, remember this. You are not alone in your struggles. You're not alone in your struggles. First off, you have a church family here who wants to be with you, who wants to walk with you through not only the good times, but the hard times who wants to pour into your life, who wants to love on you and help you see God's amazing goodness through whatever's going on. But not only do you have that, you also have God's unwavering love and power every step of the way. The trials that you face are molding you into someone stronger, someone who shines even brighter in the midst of a challenge. Keep your eyes fixed upon that living hope that eternal inheritance, that transformative power of your faith because you are being prepared for something truly glorious. And in the end, the joy and glory that await you will far outweigh any temporary difficulties that we are going to encounter in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just as we come to you, we have hearts full of gratitude. Just like we sang, we have so much gratitude for who you are. God, we are in awe of the living hope that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the new birth that we have through the resurrection. We praise you for the inheritance that is imperishable that's waiting for us in heaven and father today i ask that you would grant us the grace to fix our eyes on the eternal perspective help us to recognize that the sufferings of this world are just for a little bit they're just momentary compared to the eternal joy that we will experience in your presence God, remind us of the salvation that we have through Jesus and help us to eagerly anticipate the revelation of that. God, in the midst of our struggles, I ask that that peace that surpasses all understanding would guard our hearts, would guard our our minds. God, I ask that you would strengthen our faith, that you would increase our hope and that you would deepen our love for you and for one another here today. And we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.